Go ahead and take a seat. Thanks for being here this morning, Drew North. Good to see you all. As some of you know, we went to Utah this week, and what I would like to do for you right now is to recap a little bit of what happened. Uh, before I do that, I need to make two things uh, clear. First of all, um, if you have an Instagram, we have put this year, for the first time ever, we put the memory verses on our links. So if you want to get a head start on memorizing the verses, we would love to help you with that by simply putting them out there for you already. So go to the link in our bio. It's at the very bottom. It's titled Revival 19 Secrets. You're welcome. You all know that you can't win revival unless you have those memory verses locked and loaded. So you have an opportunity. They've been out there for several weeks now. You may not know that. But we've, we've, we've tried to hint to you that way. But now we're just letting you know straight up. Uh, show up to the Instagram. You'll see that link there. Also, the top link is read the Bible with us. Um, we don't do a whole lot of posting on the DBR website anymore. You might notice that. We do do it on a, on a Bible app. So take a look at that link. Love to have you join us in that. Um, go there. Don't forget. Okay. STM Utah. Um, Man, there's so much I want to share with you, but let me just briefly give you a high-level overview of all that took place, starting with the very day that we left. I don't know why that's there. <laughs> there's a stock photo of some random guy's kids. I don't know why that, that did that. That's so weird. Um, we le- <laughs> uh, in Utah, when we, when we got there, oh, I remember what that's supposed to be. It never copied and pasted. Oof, I know what it is that you're missing. I'll put it on our Instagram so that you can see the, the joy of what I enjoyed. Um, this is Utah. Those two buildings belong to the Latter-day Saints. And the reason I put them there is because you get a sense just from looking at those two things, how large the influence is of the Latter-day Saints in, in Utah, specifically the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormons. These guys have a large amount of power, a lot of money, a lot of money. Um, I don't have a connection any longer. I don't have a connection. Hold on, hold on. Let me go back. There's some of the crew. Um, okay. Have a connection again. There's some of the crew. We, uh, we, were, we rode together to Salt Lake. This place here is the General Conference. Um, holds 7,000, no, 21,000 people. Um, and it was closed, so we didn't get a chance to do that. But that's uh, another sense of how large the place is. This guy right here, as you might remember from last year, is Russ East. He's our ministry liaison, or missionary liaison in Utah. He's there all year long. Uh, he brings groups like us down there to, to reach the lost, specifically the Mormons. And so we began our trip praying together, um, as we often do, right in front of the General Conference Assembly Hall. Um, that was our group this year. Um, Russ is the one taking the picture, so there's all the lovely faces of those who went last year. We had about... Uh, six, seven more people than we did last year, and we lost one because she got sick because she was kissing the worship leader. And the worship leader was sick, and so then she got sick, and then I won't put Abby out there, but she, <laughs> she couldn't come with me. So the, all but one in that photo. Um, you can see behind us the three pillars or the three, um, three spires. Those belong to the Mormon temple. This is their, you know, their grand poobah. This is the thing that they all go to. Now, what you have to understand in Mormon theology is that the only way you can reach the highest level of heaven, which is really the only one that you want to be in, is by going to the temple and performing certain rituals and rites. One of those things is being baptized for the dead. So, for instance, if you became a Mormon today, you'd have to go to the temple and by proxy, you would be baptized in this tank that's uh, this large bowl-like tank that's held up by several ox. Um, and and it's, it's bizarre. I, I don't have a picture there for you, but you're getting baptized. You're being placed in water on behalf of your dead, fill in the blank, your grandma, your grandpa, or anyone else. And, and in fact, there are strangers that you're also baptized for as well. And the reason they do that is because they believe that after you die, if you're not a Mormon, you'll have a second chance to get saved um, in the afterlife. You can accept Mormonism at that point in time and then become part of uh, their, what they call heaven. Um, you can't see in this picture, so I try to, close, try to bring it close up a little, a little more for you in this photo here. You'll notice there's a husband and wife there. Another temple ceremony that you have to perform if you want to reach heaven or have eternal life is being temple sealed. Now, to be temple sealed is to literally, with your husband and your wife, or husband and wife, they are sealed together for all time and eternity. So they have their actual wedding ceremony in the temple. When they come out of the temple, at that point, they're married. They might have something a little less formal for family members who aren't Mormons, but otherwise, that's where they're actually married. And, and literally, in their minds, they believe that uh, for all of eternity, that husband and that wife are paired together, never to be separated in the afterlife, in the celestial kingdom. What his job will be, if he's a good Mormon, if he's a temple Mormon, he's working really hard. He did his mission, he's doing his good works, and if he's the best possible Mormon, he might be able to be exalted to the highest level of heaven, which in Mormon theology means that they become gods. 
that man will literally become a god of his own planet, his own universe. Um, you might ask, okay, what's the woman do? She's called, uh, in our, I don't know, in our, our, our understanding, she's, their understanding rather, she's called Heavenly Mother. So he would be Heavenly Father, she would be Heavenly Mother, and Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father do what mothers and fathers do, they procreate, right? So his job is to rule and reign all of his creation. He orders creation. Her job, get this ladies, is to have spirit children for all of time and eternity. So she is forever and always pregnant because they have a literal union that is physical that procreates spirit children. Those spirit children get sent to earth and then uh, they become us. That's how they understand that. So baptism for the dead, temple sealing. Um, there's other things that they do. They, they, they recite tokens. Um, it's very... Um, it's very strange. I mean, it's just very strange what they do and how they go about this. So anyway, backing up to a larger vision of Temple Square, you'll see lots of buildings all around. All those buildings belong to the Mormons. Um, in fact, they were some of the largest settlers of the Salt Lake Valley early, early on. And so they have some of the best property there. Um, you get a sense of how beautiful the place is. If you just look at the photo, look how pristine and precise everything is. Everything is well kept. It's well attended to. It's, I mean, I just, some of the coolest stuff they have there are the flowers. And Riley. <laughs> uh, they have flowers all over the place. The flowers are just beautiful. I mean, they're, they're, they're well maintained. They, they grow their own flowers. They, they plant them all, all year long. And so the whole place really is quite lovely to look at. When you go inside one of the buildings, they have this large uh, flower floral display. And the building that we're in is the Joseph Smith Memorial Museum. It used to be an old hotel that they renovated and they made into an entire museum based on the life and, and ministry and work of Joseph Smith. In reality, the, the Mormon faith is really based upon Joseph Smith and him more than anyone else. They give a hat tip to Jesus Christ because he's in their name, but when it comes down to it, the words of Jesus are very small in comparison to the words of Joseph Smith. And so the religion really is about one man, Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormon faith. The building itself is opulent. It's beautiful. I mean, I, I, I can't guess how many millions, I guess, millions of dollars went into this place. But I mean, if you just look at the chandelier alone, you get a large overview of the place itself. You got these large pillars, these ornate railings. The whole entire building is just awesome to behold. Awesome in the, in the true sense of the word. Um, just, and here's another angle of the building itself. And they have visitors, uh, really um, docents. They have volunteers all throughout the organization. So one reason the Mormon church is so incredibly powerful and financially strong is that everything that they do um, is run by volunteers. And in fact, if you want to be a good Mormon who goes to heaven, you know what you have to do? You have to volunteer. You're not going to make it to heaven unless you do this. And so everyone takes part of taking care of the temple. In fact, we went to uh, one ward, which is the equivalent of church for Mormons. Um, they were taking recommendations or uh, vol volunteers for people who would help clean the temple from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Like, hey, can anyone? And to, to clean the temple, you have to have what is called a temple recommend, which means that your local bishop, which is equivalent to our pastor, um, would say, yeah, I think Amir is worthy enough to enter into the temple. I recommend him to you. And then you have the opportunity to enter into the temple, which is the last building that you saw. Day one, we wrapped it up, finishing at this place. This is our, the place that we stayed. This is called the Blue House. Not sure why, but that's where we were. Um, it's also the, one of the headquarters for AM820, as well as it's, it says a bookstore. Um, I guess there's books in there. But really, it's just a place that we, we slept. We, we really utilize the entire house itself. So it's a great place to be. Beautiful. That was day number one. Day number two, we visited a, a church. This is Ogden Valley Community Church. This is, I mean, if you just take a look around, man, this place is beautiful. Just gorgeous. We passed through this... Um, um, this canyon area. There was this beautiful waterfall. It was just gorgeous. This place has a lot of money. And this place is also very strong. It's a very strong, it's a stronghold for Mormonism as well. So the church that is in this building, it took them several years to get into the building because, well, uh, the LDS are not wanting churches to be planted for obvious reasons. They don't want you threatening their community. And so they struggled and fought and they finally got this itty bitty building nestled in. Um, this is called Hill. Uh, the city is Hill something. Hill something is the name of the city. It's really beautiful. Um, Huntsville, thank you. I told you, Hill something. Um, Huntsville. So this is, a, we, we, we went to church there. It was very small. Um, not a lot of Christians in the Salt Lake City area, as you might imagine, because it's Mormontopia. This is where you go to be a Mormon. Um, great place to be, though. We had a great time fellowshipping with them. Um, when we went back home, Amir decided to mow the lawn. <laughs> he noticed that. No jokes. <laughs> no jokes. <laughs> 
Um, later that day, we went on a beautiful hike. Um, some of us did anyway. You could see just some of the greenery. Some of it looks like Southern California. If you look around, the, you got mountains and lush greenery. Um, Utah got a lot of rain this last season, just like we did. So it's, it's, it's just a spectacle. The place itself is gorgeous. That was day two. Oh, I forgot to mention, that day we also went to several wards. We went to three different wards. Um, we broke off into three groups because if we came in as like 18 strong, I think they would be like, what is going on here? Um, the ward that I went to, however, um, there were six of us, maybe four of us, uh, six, somewhere in that ballpark, six of us. Um, the, they were having Bible study, all right? so akin to what we do for class, right, this Sunday morning here. Um, and the guy was talking about friendship and how good it is to be friendly to, to guests and all that other stuff. We show up, there's six of us, and we're late to Bible study um, because we left late from, uh, from the, the church. And so we're like, hey, can we join? And they're like, yeah, there's plenty of room in the front row. So we go to the front row. Then <laughs> we walk in. Everyone, of course, can tell at this point, we're probably not Mormons. We're not dressed this, I, mean, I guess I look like a Mormon in that one time, but everyone else, we just look like guests. We go to the front row. The guy's talking about being friendly and how good it is to be friendly and why you should be friendly to people. And um, he quotes it's not the Bible. He doesn't even quote the Book of Mormon. He's quoting a general conference talk session. Um, this gal said something about why they should be friendly, and so he talks through it and says, we should be friendly, and you should be friendly. And I'm thinking, oh man, we're in the front row. People notice we're guests. They're going to be like bombarding us after this class is over. And so at the very end of it, after he gives his speech and they give their testimonies and on and on, at the end, he's like, all right, you guys are dismissed. And I'm thinking, here goes. We're going to have these, all these people lined up to have a conversation with us. And so we stand up and everyone leaves. <laughs> no one talks to us except the, uh, the bishop and the, and the council members, um, which are the leaders of the, of the building, or leaders of the ward. So really interesting uh, time there. We had, a, we had a good time, I guess, but it was just strange. Um, strange doesn't even begin. But they didn't say anything that would be like, oh, that's heretical. They mentioned Jesus once. I could just say, again, a hat tip, like, hey, we see you over there, Jesus. But other than that, it was nothing that you would be like, oh, that sounds orthodox. Day three, we visited Sandra Tanner. Uh, Sandra Tanner runs a ministry. It's called a bookstore here, but she runs a ministry in Utah where she's unveiling and uncovering the, the, the problems of Mormonism. And so we went up to the third floor or the second floor where she gave us a, an, another... Um, uh, kind of a, a teaching session on the temple and what goes on in there and why it's so important. And um, she herself was a Mormon, she and her husband. She's actually a descendant of Brigham Young, who was the second president slash prophet, you see the air quotes, prophet, president of, um, of the Church of Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. So um, she was saved out of that after she started realizing some of the problems with Mormonism. And so she talks about that now. She writes newsletters, she promotes books, she, she's helpful in that area. In fact, she's a living legend for Christianity in that area because of how much she's fought against Mormonism and how successful she's been in exposing some of its issues. Um, we went off to the more, uh, to this, uh, to Temple Square again, um, visited some of the areas. We went to this building here. This is um, one of their first meeting halls. Um, it looks, it's creepy. They all got that weird spire thing at the top of it. It's really, it's interesting. Inside looks pretty, I guess, typical in some sense. It doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like an, a strange cult area. Um, but anyway, we walked around. Um, we went to this building here. This is the general office building, lawyers, accountants, that kind of thing. If you ask them, they'll let you um, with, uh, with a guide, go up to the very topmost floor, which is, I think, the 27th floor. So you can get some really good aerial shots of what's, what really, really is happening in the Salt Lake City area. Most of those tall buildings that you see, and really the most, most of those buildings in the area are, are Mormon-owned. Um, they are Mormon, it's Mormontopia, as I said. Um, we took a tour. Uh, some of us did anyway, and that's uh, the one on the left is Sister Mueller. Um, she was kind of grumpy with me. Um, and grumpy with her sister, well, her sister missionary. I forget the gal's name on the right, but um, the gal on the right, she said, hey, where are you guys from? And I said, oh, we're from Compass Bible Church. And um, normally when, a, when a, a Mormon hears that, oh, you're from one of the you know, enemy camps, um, they kind of back off and they don't want to really engage with you because they think that you're trouble. You're, you're there to stir up the pot. And then I guess in a sense, they'd be right. You know, we're not there because we're just wanting to learn. We're there because we want to engage with Mormons and really help them uh, leave the, the Mormon faith. Um, so, uh, she and I started conversations. I was like, all right, I sense interest. I'm going to go for it. I want to talk to her. I'm going to try to slip her my card so she can call me. Like, let me help you get out of here. Um, but um, any good Mormon knows that they're supposed to stick really close, like peanut butter and jelly, to their companion. Their companion is whoever they're assigned to, to be their partner throughout the duration of their mission. And that would be their companion there. So um, I didn't get an opportunity to share Christ with her, but I don't know. She knows our church name at the very least. Maybe she'll look us up. They walked us around. Um, one of the things about the temple, if you, if you look closely, there are symbols on it that are clearly not Christian. 
Um, the temple itself is broken down into three layers, which represents the three levels of heaven. You have the sun, which is the highest level of heaven, the moon, second level, and then the stars, lowest level of heaven. Um, if you, I don't know if you can tell, but underneath that archway there, there's an eyeball. Um, that eyeball you might notice is on the dollar bill, or it's on a lot of masonry type things, and that's because the Church of Jesus Christ is really strongly connected to Masonic imagery. It has Mason, Masonic roots. And so you see symbols like that on the temple itself. You'll see upside down stars. It's not satanic. Um, I mean, it is satanic, but it's not, they're not trying to draw from Satanism. It just happens to be that they adopted that symbol before Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan um, adopted it later on. So really interesting symbol, uh, symbols and stuff like that. Day four, um, really day four was really just a work day for us. So we pulled weeds. Um, Studebaker pretended to work. <laughs> Noticed that she's not, even touching the, 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 she's not even touching the bush with her blades. She was just like happily just blading the air, I guess. Ryan Smith worked pretty hard. He was shoveling gravel. Um, uh, Riley, trying to get into as many pictures as possible, held bags while others pulled weeds. Actually, Riley was not feeling well that day, so kudos to Riley for serving, even though she was feeling pretty sickly. Um, We gave Amir power tools, which is pretty dangerous, (laughs) but he survived. He didn't cut anyone's face off or anything, so we're happy about that. Uh, Some of us stayed in and and organized Russ East's um, office, um, you can't quite tell, but it's kind of a messy office. He's not, he's not the most organized guy. And so my wife and Mrs. Studebaker stood behind to help with that. Um, some people painted stuff. In fact, I'll show you the finished product of that little image later. But we, we really just, we, we did work projects all around the house while we were there. The second half of the day, we did a free car wash. Ryan wasn't there when we assigned responsibilities, so we, put, we gave him the, the sign holding responsibility. He was all the way down the block, and we're like, hey, Ryan, just hold a sign, smile, you know, wave, wave the sign. And so he did that for like a couple hours. Um, <laughs> We had other sign holders right in front of where we were washing cars. Um, Noah yelled at passerbys. Um, I, think, I think kindly yelled at them. But we washed several cars, and it was so good because in that time, people would come and stop by and say, what are you guys doing? What are you about? And even at the very least, we got to put our name out there. Like, hey, we're here serving Christ. You know, we just want to get to know people, serve our community, that kind of thing. Um, some of us decided just to wet each other the entire time. Um, but for the most part, we did work. Um, we, again, we got to talk to strangers and, and really just kind of, we, we, shared, we shared Christ with them. We talked to them and some of us were in the house talking to strangers. The other of us were outside doing hard work. Um, some of the hard work was done in the backyard. Um, these four gentlemen took the, okay, so uh, the guy on the right is Joseph Haller. Heller? Heller or Haller? Joseph, not Smith. Um, and our three guys worked on the back part of the house there. So you see that little thing above the porch, that, uh, that awning type thing. You see how it's kind of like crusty looking, and it's, the wood was kind of rotted. Um, so they worked on that, and ta-da, look how nice it looks now. So we did do a... <laughs> okay. No one else got a hand clap, Amir. You had to start a hand clap for your crew, huh? Day five. Um, I don't know what day this is. It's all a blur for us, but I think this is Wednesday. Um, we, we invited, that's Russ East again, we, we were invited to join with an apologetics organization to do some evangelism on the local college campus, which was directly across the street from us. So we went to Weber's, oh, actually, you'll see there in the photo, now there's a what you call those, the sign. We had several of those signs. And what they were meant to do is to capture attention. We were going to say, hey, you know, we'd like to get your opinion on something. And so people would uh, be walked over to the sign and say, here, can you just tell us what you believe? Here's all the pictures. And so um, super effective in getting people to stop. We had really a great time talking to a host of different people. And in fact, the more people that came and stopped by, the more people wanted to be like, what's going on over there? I want to figure that out. So it was really super helpful. Um, Maybe we'll do this on some of your guys' high school campuses if we can, because people do stop and they talk. And I, I think over the course of the couple hours that we were there, we had probably 20, 30 people, give or take, right guys, more or less, 20 or 30 people that we talked to and stopped. And um, all of us, you know, from the youngest of us to the oldest, we were talking to different people. You'll see uh, Tori's hair there because I was trying to be sneaky and, and getting photos. So I'm like, pose, and then I'm going to shoot behind you. And so that's what she did. Um, yeah, we talked to several people and we got their opinion. We got to share Christ with a lot of people there. Um, all of us had a great time doing that. I was clearly taking a lot of photos. So we did, uh, we did that at Weber State. Um, it was just such a good time, guys. It really, I can't speak more highly about this, this mission trip than, than to say you got to do it at some point in time. Um, but we'll leave that for the end here. We did stop by the most important place for some people. Um, we stopped by East High. Um, 
the, 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 you might notice the, the lockers from Percy Jack, um, Parsley, Parsley, Pars, Par, Perkins, Sharpay. <laughs> I was around the right area. I was, I was, I was around the, I was, I was in the ballpark. Come on. I'm tired. Okay. Come on. I'm tired. I'm tired. I've been serving all week. Um, so we got a chance to play in the basketball court where they did the scene and we did the thing at the top of the rail above the, above the cafeteria. Um, Ethan begged me to take a photo in front of the locker. So there he is. He was demanding it really. I'm going to take a picture in front of Parchment's locker. Um, <laughs> And of course, we did the obligatory jump in front of the, the front of the building. So we did that. We had a great time. We didn't stay there very long, but it did feel too long, even though we were there for a short time. After East High, we took a detour um, to a graveyard. Talk about a high going down to a low. I didn't take any pictures of that because it didn't feel right. So um, we went to the, the cemetery to remind ourselves of what our lives are about and how short they are and to, re- to realize that all the people under our feet were at some time our age doing what we were doing. And some of the people that we saw on the gravestones really didn't even live that long. There was lots of babies in that, in that area for whatever reason. I'm not sure why, but perhaps it had to do with the season or the weather. I, I don't know, but um, lots of kids there. After that, we went to the, the place where uh, Brigham Young and his associates first entered the Salt Lake Valley and said, this is the place, which is why that park is called This is the Place Heritage Park. After that, we visited this gal here. Um, You probably don't know her, but her name is Hanson, Doris Hanson. Thank you, Doris Hanson. She is, no, no, was a a woman who was part of a polygamous marriage um, under the banner of Mormonism. And in fact, she let us know that there's still probably about 50,000 people who are still part of polygamy under the banner of Mormonism. So uh, under the banner of the FLDS movement, which is the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, or people like uh, Warren Jeffs, who has 50 or so wives, she was saved out of that at a, at a fairly young age. And so she now, um, she goes around and she, she does documentaries and she, she writes books and literature to help these women who are still entrapped into polygamy to get out of it. And it's really quite sad when you get to see or hear from her, from her own lips, what the conditions are for ladies who, I mean, um, Brigham Young himself had 50 wives, 50. Um, you can imagine, I mean, if you look in the Bible about how terrible it was just for, um, for Abraham, and when you have 50 women who are just with one husband, um, Doris herself said, I barely even saw my, my dad. Um, I saw him once a week, and I didn't know he was my dad until later on. Um, we were just in this house, and I mean, yeah, these men ab- abuse the women. They use them, they abuse them, they ab- just every way possible. Stuff that I would not even want to share. They just abuse them terribly. Um, the men don't provide for the women. Um, there was one guy who was charging his, one of his wives rent, um, she was supposed to have a full-time job, and she was supposed to go and uh, pay the rent to her husband. Um, she was supposed to provide food for her kids, and she was going to have a lot of kids. Um, the, the woman's job is to have as many kids as possible, because in Mormon theology, they believe that all of you and me are spirit children. Um, we used to live pre-mor- uh, premortally um, in the heavens with Heavenly Father, and then that when we're born... Um, if we're born to faithful Mormon families, that's a mark of goodness on our part. Like, we're good people. Um, if you're born to evil families, then you're probably a reprobate even from the pre-existence. So it's wrapped up in their theology. They're polygamists from the beginning. Um, Doctrine and Covenant section 132 still promotes polygamy, even though the Book of Mormon contradicts it and says, no, it's wrong. So any case, um, Doris is one of the ladies who's bravely out there trying to rescue these polygamous wives out of their terrible housing situations. Um, and we got to, en- en- I guess I want to say enjoy her, our time with her, but um, we did en- enjoy learning, but it was, it was heavy. It's heavy. Heavy to hear about all that's going on. Day six. Um, that, it was 4th of July. I know you guys had a party at the at Lake Forest Parade. We did something of the sort. Went to a parade, handed out water bottles with uh, umbrella tracks on them. Um, you know the, the Pastor Mike's umbrella analogy. We handed those out. And so um, we went out, and there's, you can see Noah in the photo there handing out those things. And after the parade, we went to the festival where there's a bunch of booths set up, and those booths are, you know, shilling different wares. Um, but we were handing out gospel tracts and books and things like that. Um, and so we, we were put in this area, this spot that didn't have an umbrella or a, an umbrella, an easy up. Um, we were the only one. Um, one of two Christian mission um, ministries on, on the grounds. 
and we didn't have an umbrella. So we, tried, we still handed stuff out, but eventually we moved under, the, under a tree. Um, some of our crew did worship songs to attract people, and we, as they passed by, we'd give them literature and things like that. Lady walked by with a goat. That was fun. Um, Jessie was petting dogs. Even though the dog is clearly trying to get away from her, she, she did pet Grayson. He was a sweet dog, too. Huge head, just a massive head on that dog. I almost was wondering well, how he didn't tip over when he walked. It was just, anyway. Some of us got tattoos, matching tattoos. Um, and then, I'm sure like yourselves, we had a very tame and safe 4th of July in the backyard of the Blue House where nothing at all was even remotely suspect. We just had a safe, <laughs> safe and reasonably tame evening. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Day seven was our wrap-up day. We met together in, uh, this, that's the basement, that's called the prayer room. There's people, that, uh, prior mission groups have gone in there and they write all on the wall, so that's really cool. Um, we debriefed about the week itself. We took our obligatory group photo. And then we got to be on the radio. Um, so we went to this uh, small radio station, the AM820. It's going to broadcast next Friday. Um, and so we got to record some reflections about the trip itself. That was really fun. We really enjoyed that. All of us really had a chance to pitch in if we wanted to. And then we made one more trip to Salt Lake City. Um, you'll see here, this is actually Brigham Young's bedroom. Um, this is within the Beehive House. Beehive House has, I think, 47 rooms or something like that. It's, it's massive. Um, and that's because he had 47 wives. So put that together. Uh, Brigham Young was a great proponent of, of uh, polygamy. And so uh, Mormonism's claim to fame, in part, is that they're polygamous nature. Even though technically they still don't practice it. If you talk to the average Mormon at your school, he's going to say, we don't do that anymore. Um, and the reason why is because uh, part of Utah's agreement in order to be considered a state of the union was to uh, abolish Mormon, or not Mormonism, abolish polygamy. And so to receive the rights and the privileges thereof, uh, Mormonism suddenly had a revelation from Heavenly Father, oh, polygamy's wrong. So they dropped polygamy in order to, to be incorporated into the United States. And so since then, they have no longer officially practiced it. Although there are several presidents in their lineage after this time that still do practice that. So, or have practiced it anyway, have practiced it, even though technically right now they do not. And they speak against it even though their literature, their own holy books, suggest that it's still the good thing. Airport. Um, we flew back safely um, in the air. We, you guys had this massive earthquake. We didn't feel it because we were flying. So sorry about that. Um, but before we wrap it up, I'd like to just have a, a, few, a few of them who came to the event, um, came to the, the missions trip to share just a few brief words with you because it's one thing to hear from me, uh, but I'd like you to hear it from them. Jesse, would you come up first? A few brief words, if you will. Reflections. Um, I think one... It is totally it is not on. That's my fault. I just flipped the switch. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing that I learned is just because it's just that prayer is so important. <laughs> um, if you go into a conversation and you try to be bold and talk to an elder or a sister or literally anyone and you don't pray beforehand and during, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> And it's probably going to go badly, and it did for me. And then when we were at Weber State, um, the conversation went well because I was actually praying, and I was actually trusting in God for it. Um, so that was probably just the biggest thing, and humility in everything. And you should definitely go as soon as you can. Thank you. Ethan Strunk, where are you? Ethan Strunk. Consider this a commercial for next summer because we will be doing this again. Strunk, takeaways, reflections, thoughts. Yeah, so... The biggest eat the mic. Thank you. The biggest takeaway I had was um, just have an unashamed confidence to go out there and share the gospel because the gospel has power apart from yourself. So that's a comforting thought to know that there's no amount of your own eloquence or intelligence that's going to alter like how the gospel has an effect on other people. So just go out there and share it, even if you don't feel ready. Just you have that message with you. Just share it to people, and that will plant a seed that will bother them and they will continue to think about it and God will work in their hearts. So just go out there and share the gospel. Don't worry about your own skill. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
I would love to bring up everybody, but for the sake of time, I'm going to stop it right there. But there's, there's people who have gone here. Um, there are people that are here that went this week. I'd love for you to talk with them and say, hey, what did you get out of, get, get out of that? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. I want you to seriously consider going on this trip next, next summer because it is such a powerful and impactful trip. I've talked to leaders as you need to go too. I would love to take all of you. It's such a good experience. It's such a good testing place. It's such a good thing that takes you out of your comfort zone. I mean, I just, I, I want that for you. Um, it is that good. So having said all that, um, I do have one more thing. I promised you something special on the Instagram, and it is now that time. Um, you know how there's times to move on and to do different ministries? Well, it's not that time. My wife is pregnant. <laughs> Baby number four, Gomez number four, is not an accident, but a surprise. So... <laughs> Uh, but we're super excited. Um, we've already determined the baby's name. He or she will be called True North. So, <laughs> But that's not all. It's not only Kristen who's pregnant, but so is Amir. <laughs> I think that was just a burrito, so I'm not, I think that was, that was it. All right. In the few minutes we have left, I do want to walk you through really quickly. I want to take you through Psalm 23. So go ahead and open your Bibles there. As we... As we land the plane for this service, as well as for really STM Utah, as I was thinking through this text, I started thinking about the Mormon people and how I grew in compassion for them. I still love them. I care about them. And the more theology I learn about them, the more I covet their salvation, the more I desire for them to know the true Christ. You may not know this, but Utah actually has a very high suicide rate. They also have a very high opioid abuse rate. Um, they also have a very high... I mean, among the highest in the nation, all, all, all two of those things. But the third thing as well, uh, pornography use. I mean, it's rampant among them. So even though you go to Utah and, and on the surface, everything looks just incredible. You might look at this, those people and say, man, they have everything together. But when you just scratch below the surface, you realize that they do not have it together. Um, they're hurting, they're suffering, and they're struggling. So I thought, what, a, what an incredible disparity between the true Christian who should have, who does have hope in Christ, a, a leader and a savior, versus the, the non-Christian or the one who thinks he's the Christian who only hopes in his religiousness, his, his good works to save him. So Psalm 23 really is the, is the polar opposite of, of how a Mormon thinks. Young person, you need, to, you need to listen to Psalm 23 and internalize this. You might know Psalm 23, but have you experienced it? That's really the big difference. That's the biggest difference. You might know it, but have you experienced it? This is what it's all about. Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What you have here is David's declaration of, of who God is. The fact that not only is God a shepherd, but he's my shepherd. The my is emphatic. And what he's pointing to here is the fact that even if things are bad, even if things are good, he realizes that there are certain benefits to following the shepherd. In fact, let's put it that way. You need to think about what the benefits are of following the shepherd. Reflect on those. Remember those. And this is one of the greatest apologetics we have, although not the greatest. It's the fact that following God is good. Following the shepherd is good for you. It's the right thing. It's the best thing. It's really the only thing when it comes down to it. It's, it's in the heat of the moment, it's easy to say, man, Christianity is just like everything else out there, or just like the Mormons, or just like the Muslims, or whatever else. But David understood that to follow Christ, to give him your undivided loyalty, is a good and beneficial thing for them. Take a look again at these verses. Let me point a few out. First of all, the first benefit, the Lord is my shepherd. Notice that the L-O-R-D capital, Yahweh. You can think about it like this. The Lord himself is caring for you. He's not a distant God. We're not deists. We don't believe that God began the spinning top and then kind of said, okay, let's see what happens and figure it out. No, the Lord is intimately involved in your life. The Lord is the one who, who numbers all of the hairs on your head. You need to appreciate that and realize that there's personal care and attention from the God of the universe toward you. The second thing there, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to give you everything you desire, but it does mean that God is not going to let you lack in any good thing that he deems necessary. So the, thing, the, the way to say it here is that the Lord provides for you. Not only is the Lord himself caring for you, but the Lord is the one who provides for you. The world hungers and thirsts for satisfaction, but this text says that no matter what's happening, it's the Lord who shepherds you, who is making sure that you're well provided for. You're not going to be lacking the things that he wants to give you. Third, it is the Lord who, look, look at this here, verse 2. I mean, close your eyes and listen to this, okay? Close your eyes and listen to verse 2. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Open your eyes, look at verse 2, and realize that it is the Lord who gives peace. I mean, if you thought in your head about the rolling green hills, a lush greenery, as well as the, the calm river, the flowing water, that's, what, that's the idea here. Um, the Lord is the one who is, who is providing for you rich fare, a place where, where your needs are met. In fact, if you know anything about sheep, you know this. Sheep are skittish. Um, they're, okay, if a lion were to jump out of a bush to attack a sheep, what's the sheep's defense mechanism? Venom? No, no venom. Does it have rockets to shoot at the, the lion? No, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> uh, does, does, does it have a serious bite? No, not disabling. Um, is the sheep particularly fast? No. But get this, the sheep only has one defense, and that's to run. So a sheep by design is, is vulnerable from the very beginning. The sheep itself uh, is always on the alert for predators and for threats to its livelihood. And so when a sheep is threatened, it runs. But only rarely does the sheep lie down. The sheep lies down when he's well-fed. The sheep lies down when she's protected. The sheep lies down when he's secure. Think about that imagery now when you realize that the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who's protecting you, feeding you, securing you, so that even if there are dangers all around, you're still satisfied and safe enough where you can lie down, chill, and rest in this beautiful scenery here. The Lord loves his sheep, and so he finds these places for his sheep. Verse 3 the Lord restores my soul. You can think about it like this. Number four, the Lord brings renewal. He refreshes, replenishes, and renews. There's, a, there's this funny thing that if a sheep falls on its back, um, some sheep, especially the really fat ones, are unable to get back up. And if the shepherd doesn't find that sheep quickly, that sheep can actually die. Uh, because of the way that the sheep is designed, it restricts blood flow. It can actually stop the heart of a sheep, and the sheep will die because he's lying there, like, you know, trying to wail and no one helps the sheep, the sheep will die. The Lord is actively attentive to his flock. And so when you're face down on your, with your feet in the air, like uh, flailing frantically, the shepherd's aware, runs over, picks you back up, maybe massage your legs a little bit, and restores you back to full health. The Lord does not crush you when you're down. The Lord is good. He is kind. The shepherd realizes when you're weak, and it says a smoldering wick he will not put out. Um, it's the tenderness and the care of the shepherd for his sheep. Um, but it's, it's like Isaiah 40 says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. How are you doing with your walk with Christ? Are you waiting on him? Are you, are you following the shepherd? Second part of verse three, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now pause right there for a second and realize that, that the paths of righteousness can mean like, oh, he leads me to, to do the right things. Uh, but it can also mean, if you're looking at the imagery of the shepherd, he leads me down the right area. So it's not like he's misleading you. The, the path the shepherd is making his sheep follow upon is the path where it's the most appropriate way to go. It does mean, of course, that he's leading you to do right things. He's leading you to do righteous behavior. But it's the idea that the shepherd's not going to mislead you. He's not going to misdirect you. Uh, he, he's a lot like Google Maps in this sense, where he's going to give you the best route along the path to get to the desired end. And so he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. You're, if you're a Christian, you are the Lord's sheep. His reputation is on your life. And so when you live and you're thriving, it's because he wants to do that to make sure that his reputation is protected. His reputation is on the line. Now, here's the thing. All of this is contingent upon us actually following the shepherd. Is the shepherd your shepherd? And if so, are you following him? Because the blessings that are outlined here are the, are the kind of blessings where he leads me in paths of right. He's going before you. Um, you're not behind, just kind of doing your own thing. Some sheep are like that, aren't they? they, they kind of, they're, they're, there's lush green grass over here, but they want to eat the dirty dead grass over there. How are you doing? Are you following the shepherd? There are lots of benefits in following who God is and what he's provided for you. But again, there's so much of, of that. Not your salvation, but the benefits that come with that is contingent upon your following. How are you doing, True North? How's your following of the shepherd going? Look at verses 4 and 5. Not all is well. Not all is well. In fact, this is why I think this psalm is awesome because David could be singing this at a time when things were bad. Verse 4. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear evil. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay. Um, two things here. Uh, 
the valley of the shadow of death. Um, the shadow of death could be understood to be the deepest, darkest, shadowy of places. It's kind of like saying uh, um, the, the place of, of greatest fear and danger. So if you look at a canyon, something like this, you, you might see that the sun could be high in the sky, but there are places where the shadow is cast, even if the sun is high, because of the rock walls. And so what you have here is the shepherd taking his sheep through areas that are a challenge. Uh, the sheep itself might be afraid. In fact, there are times, and you, you can't see around the corner, maybe there's a predator lurking behind there, but the shepherd is the one going before the sheep to walk them through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of that, the sheep doesn't have to be afraid. David says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. It's your rod, Pastor Rod, and your staff. They come from me. Maybe you can carry my picture around your wallet <laughs> or your phone. Um, okay, that's weird. Don't do that. Uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, the instruments of the shepherd. They're, they're a benefit to the sheep because the sheep realizes those are the tools that he uses to protect and maintain the sheep. Verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, verse 5, I think what's happening here is a change in the analogy. In the first four verses, you have the shepherd-sheep analogy. In this verse, you have God taking on the role of a gracious host providing a lavish dinner. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Um, it's the idea where... Uh, the, the Lord is providing this lavish banquet. He's the host. You're a guest. He's taking care of you despite the circumstances, and he's giving you this uh, resources upon resources to provide for you. Really, I think for so many Christians, this is not their experience. This is not the reality. Uh, many of us live in fear and anxiety and turmoil because we refuse to let ourselves, or we allow ourselves rather, to, to think in ways that are anti-biblical. In fact, here's my point for you. You need to really resolve to enjoy the protection of the shepherd. Whether or not you, whether or not, let me try this again. The sheep is protected whether or not he chooses to enjoy it. It's like a, it's like a parent holding his, his, her baby, a mom holding her baby. Um, if there's turbulence in the airplane, the baby really could feel somewhat safe in mom's arms, but the baby might get terrified, you know, for right now, jolting and moving. The baby could cry and say, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm terrified of what's going on. Um, but in a much larger sense, and we're being protected by the shepherd, we can choose to enjoy that protection or we can choose to be anxious and fearful. Really what we need to do is, is, is not let fear paralyze us. My son, Adam, um, I remember just a handful of times, maybe less than that, a few times where I say, uh, Adam, jump, and I'll catch you. You know, he's, he's on a ledge or something, and I'm saying, come on, jump, and I'll catch you. And, um, and he, he, he wouldn't, because he's, he's, he's afraid. He's afraid that I'm going to drop him, or, you know, or maybe just intentionally say, oops, you know, one of those things. Um, and so, uh, in my heart, I'm like, come on, son, trust me. I'm going to catch you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Trust me, I will take care of you. I would just as soon hurt myself before I let you get hurt, kind of thing. Um, and so I, a handful of times, I remember, I'm saying, son, jump. Show, show me that you trust me. Honor me by trusting me and jumping. And I think to this day, he's kind of a scaredy cat. He, he hasn't. He doesn't trust me, um, at least in that area. He trusts me in a lot of other areas. It's not a bash against my son Adam, but uh, it's the same thing when we approach God and we choose not to walk by faith uh, and following him. Sometimes we, God tells us, you know, do this, be bold about your faith, share Christ with that person, or I want you to spend an hour in prayer, even though that's going to cost you a lot of time when you've got other things to do. And we say, no, thanks, God. I can't. I, I, what, what if I do? I might get made fun of. I might not have enough time to do the thing. I, I might, you know, I might lose friends if I post this. I might, if I say the wrong thing, that person might hate me. I might get a bad grade. On and on and on it goes. And yet God is saying, here, follow me. Trust me. Jump, and I'll catch you. It's one of those things where we can enjoy the protection of the shepherd or we can reject it. Don't let fear paralyze you because, uh, as verse 4 makes clear, the Lord is with you. David could say, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Because you're with me. Have you ever had the experience of trying to cross a, a large intersection when you're a kid and be, kind of being a little intimidated by that? It's scary when you're alone, but if you're with an parent, an adult, you're like, oh, no big deal. Let's cross the street. You got my hand? Let's cross. No big deal. But when we're by ourselves, we, we, we suddenly feel vulnerable and scared. Uh, but when we realize that in our faith walk, God himself is the one who's with us, we don't have to fear that. Don't let fear paralyze you. Not only that, but it is the Lord who is our defense. 
We talked about the rod and the staff. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was likely used as an instrument of defense, an instrument to club predators. If a lion rolled up, the shepherd pulls out the rod and then whacks it on the head. Um, if, uh, if the shepherd needed to, he could use it to discipline the sheep as well. But that's where the staff comes in. The staff he would use to guide the sheep, to keep the sheep in the, on the right path. Um, the shepherd is the one who's guiding and protecting the sheep. He's intimately involved in the sheep's life. Do you see the parallel there? The Lord is the one who's defending you, who's protecting you, who's guiding you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's a matter of trusting him and being willing to follow and realizing that when we do that, then is when we're feeling the protection that God provides. Don't let fear paralyze you also because it is the Lord who is greater than any single one of your enemies. You saw, you saw in verse 5 where it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a battle, I'm, I'm going to have a really hard time sitting down and eating if the enemy is surrounded, surrounding me. Uh, I'm not going to be able to sit down and enjoy myself if I, see, if I realize that there are snipers and guys with guns all around me who are ready to kill me and attack me. Unless, unless I know for a fact that I'm in an area where they cannot touch me. The psalm says that David was able to sit down knowing that there's enemies all around him because the Lord who he was with was far greater and far stronger than any enemy that was outside and against him. That's the kind of peace and protection that we could enjoy if we were willing to follow the shepherd. Realizing the shepherd is greater than your enemies is something that's going to help remove the paralyzing fear in your life. And also, it is the Lord who is generous in his care for you. The Lord says here that my cup overflows my cup overflows. It's the idea that the resources are continuing to be provided to you. And so, so much so that your cup has nowhere else to contain the blessings. It just continues to overflow and overflow. The Lord is not simply begrudgingly giving you blessings. The Lord desires, like a good father, the Lord desires to bless you with rich, wonderful, awesome things. Are you following him? Or are you letting fear and doubt paralyze you from following the good shepherd? He's given you his spirit. He's given you his promises. He's given you blessing upon blessing. Don't let worry steal your joy. In fact, you should declare with David, I will fear no evil. This school year, this summer, I'm not going to let fear paralyze me from following you faithfully. David wraps it up in verse 6. He says here, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David wraps up this psalm by rejoicing in the Lord's goodness and faithfulness. In fact, that's what you should do. You should rejoice in the steadfast love of the shepherd. In fact, if you look back at the verse itself, you may not be able to see this with your, with your eye in the English language here, but the word goodness, that word is the word hesed. And then you, you, if you might have heard it this morning, if you went to Pastor Mike's sermon, the word hesed is often translated steadfast, faithful love, loyal love, covenant-keeping love. It's the kind of love that is expressed towards you regardless of your behavior. It's the kind of faithfulness that God says, where Jesus says, I will neither leave you nor forsake you. It's the kind of love where, uh, where Paul talked about. It. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's the kind of love that says, I know what you've done. I see it all. And yet I'm still going to faithfully deposit my love to you day after day. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. You've been a bad sheep. Sure, I see it. I know it. I'm the shepherd. But yet still, I'm going to take care of you. How much so? Well, not just on your good days. Look at this. All the days of my life. Have you had a bad week? Okay. The shepherd still cares about you if you're one of his sheep. How long? All the days of my life. And that word surely there. You might look at the bottom of your Bible. It can also be translated only. It's not just that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's only that. God's kindness is pursuing you and chasing you down with goodness and with mercy. His goodness shows his, his steadfast love and faithfulness to you. His mercy shows his willingness to forgive your sin. It's an idea that when you come to the shepherd and you say, hey, I've messed up. I've sinned against you. I cursed your name. I, I doubted you. I, I, I rejected you in front of my friends. The shepherd's not going to whack you on the head with the rod, probably, Gonna, he's willing to forgive you. He's willing to say, you know what? You've sinned. You're repenting. Great. I forgive you. Your, your sin has been covered by the righteous blood of Christ. 
David looks forward to the future. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the idea that the house was God's tabernacle and then eventually his temple. David longed to be near God, an intimate relationship with him. It was the idea that he's looking forward to the good things that he has with God. It's his yearning inside of you. And in fact, if you're a Christian, you know what this is like. A yearning to be right with God, to be close with God, and to get even closer. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you, might, you may not have tasted that the Lord is good. For Christians, the desire that, that burns deep within us is to know God and to love him more faithfully. And the more we pursue that, the more we long for that. It's like being able to taste a rich meal and saying, man, that was so good. It's like when I went to Agora and I had all that steak. I said, I want to go back and I want to eat more now. God is better than steak. And so when you get to know him, it's like, I want to dwell in your house forever, God. David was confident someday in the future, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, unceasing, uninterrupted intimacy with you. That's what I want, Lord. That's why, really, you should rejoice in the steadfast love of the shepherd. You should enjoy that the good blessings that he gives you are there for you. I don't know if you notice here, but in the psalm itself, you might notice that in the beginning, the first four verses, it's the shepherd in front of you, leading you. In the second two verses, it's the shepherd with you, next to you. And in the final verses, it's the shepherd behind you, chasing you. For the Christian, there is protection in front, there is protection with, and there is protection behind. All of your life from start to finish is under the guiding and loving care of the shepherd. What an incredible thing to realize. And when we do realize that, rejoicing in that, celebrating that, and telling others about that becomes a no-brainer. Please join us in this. Follow the shepherd. How many people do you know who aren't following the shepherd, who don't know the shepherd? This year in True North, my prayer and my, my, my constant prayer is for revival. Summer, yes. Winter, yeah. I'm not, not talking about those specifically. I want spiritual revival. And one of the marks of revival is when all of us get on the same page and realize, man, there's so many people who are lost, who should be here, who should be following the shepherd. This year, and this summer in particular, as we pursue knowing God more through the Psalms, I want you to get a heart check going on. Pull into the station and check with your maker and say, am I, am I getting this? Am I right with you? And if I am right with you, am I where I need to be? Am I talking to people enough? Am I sharing Christ enough? Or am I just going through the motions? And if you are going through the motions, now's the time to repent and say, God, forgive me for being lackluster, for being, you know, for being just a regular attender and not caring about your kingdom. True North, this is the time for us to say, the shepherd is good. Follow the shepherd. Make peace with the shepherd. The shepherd is merciful and willing to forgive. The world around us, Jesus talks about them. He says, a thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. True nor this time to make the good shepherd known among your peers. It's time maybe for you, if you're in this building and you don't know who Jesus is right now, you're not, you know you're not following the good shepherd, maybe it's time for you to get right with the shepherd. Because I can tell you one thing, getting right with the shepherd now is better than waiting infinitely long and saying, I'll figure it out eventually. You know, now's the time. Now's the time to get right with your shepherd. Do you know him? And if so, are you following him? If not, maybe today's the day to get right with your shepherd. Let's pray.